Apparently my sermon notes got cleaned up too. That's okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's probably me just falling apart. But, uh, I wanted to read something for you. Uh, I met over the past week with four different pastors. Not intentionally. There seems to be something... I don't know, you know, the rumbling going through the churches and church families, and now that COVID's done, and you've got, I'm going to say even it may have something to do with a lot of pastors are dreaming and trying to cast visions for their church, and it's like, okay, how do we start rebuilding? What do we have left? Um, again, kind of thing, like, like how did we end up in this place? So a little bit you'll have to, you have to put up with me. Because I have to work through these things too. And as I'm sitting down with these pastors, if you'll take your notes, and again, it's not Pat, but the bottom of one of the sides is considerations, not insults. And that's kind of, I mean, I, got a, I had a message prepared and then, and then kind of the, this developed out a bit. So the message is going to be more for homework. <laughs> but the considerations, not insults. And in... I'm always recording things. And one of the things that was discussed is, is one of the most devastating things for the church is unmarked Bibles. Right? And when I say unmarked, I should have probably put personally unmarked Bibles because I'm not talking about ones without study notes. I'm talking about ones that, that have not been worked with. Right? Ones that don't have things written in it, things helping you remember. Um, and I, I think church had a culture or a time where that was a taboo thing, right? Where, where this, you don't mark in it. This is the holy word. And, and, and week after week, people, God's people would come in and would sit and they'd listen. And, and my question would be, how, how were they to remember as they went out to explain this to someone else? Now, maybe I, I hope I'm not touching on too, too much of a touchy thing here, uh, but as us pastors are discussing, how did we get in this place? This was one of the topics that come out. So just, just hear me out here. One of the most devastating things for the church is unmarked Bibles or people not taking notes. If you were a nurse studying, you're writing notes all the time, if not for just the exam. If you're taking engineering, right, or, or even, even starting up at Kent, you're probably taking notes. I need to remember this. I need to be able to explain this teaching you, the parishioner, so that you go disciple. And the idea that grows out of that is, is, is to be taking notes, to be reading, to understand what you're reading, and then you go and explain it to someone else. This influences parenting, serving in church ministries, conversations, counseling, outreach. This includes the pulse that we've been talking about in our Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. As we're reading, we're learning, it's pulsing, pulsing out. And the, the, the kind of nuts and bolts, and this is what ties to Luke 24. It says, so think with me. You, personally, listening here this morning, must connect with what is written. And you'll see, see that kind of, you must connect with what God has put before us to open your understanding of Christ because every time you read that instance in Luke 24 and Acts, it's always the Word of God. You connecting that so you know who Christ is, so that you can open the understanding of others by showing them. Okay? Your understanding through the Word has to be open so you can show someone else. And this is the difference between religion and relationship. 
So as I pursued through this, and, and again, talking, some of them are younger, some of them are older. There are a lot of men talking about leaving ministry right now. They're just looking at these empty pews, and they're just like, what do we do with this? And I'm saying, we need to start back at the beginning. Right? And we need to start reading our Bibles, because this is our life source, and seeing that having them open our understanding so that we can show people. And that's exactly what Jesus does in Luke 24. Right? That's exactly what he does. All right, so I'm going to pray. And my intention this morning is just to read through chapter 20. All right, and I don't know how far we'll get. We, we, have, we have a marker here. But I wanted to show you that if, if you have something to write with, right, and just little notes, you will be able to leave here, having learned at least one thing, I hope, or reminded of, and you have lived here being able to show someone else. Right? And we're going to make this a tool because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did what? He expounded of the scriptures of himself. He explained it to them. He didn't go, well, this is how I think, this is how it works. Let me tell you about it. No, he said, here, let me show you. And I believe with all my heart that will change church culture. So let me pray and, and we'll, we'll get into our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you desire us to discover you. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. And, and I thank you for, for men in my life that, that make sure that this is, the, this is at the forefront when we open our Bibles. Lord, if we're not living in obedience, then there's oftentimes very little illumination. When we're living in sin, that fellowship is broken and there isn't much desire for the word. But Lord, this, this word has been, you've given us your word to grow us, to deepen our understandings, to deepen our faith, and Lord, to equip us to show people who you are. And yes, that can be done through a bowl of soup or, or, a, or a sweater or a ride to somewhere, Lord, but, but they need to see you from the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I pray that even through this morning, as we read through and we just see how many elements are here, Lord, that you would open our hearts to a, a desire to learn and a desire to, to show that people, people wouldn't be basing their faith on a verse or that they would be basing their faith on an explained plan. And I pray that you would just, just move in our hearts and that this would become contagious. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So this will be a little bit more of a study. I spent not very long, if, if we need points this morning, um, verses 1 to 18. We're going to see point number one, how the women went. And that's very prolific. Okay, we could build a, a, a message over that. We will see that how the women wept. Right? It was very real for them. And then we're going to see how the women waited, right? And it's going to be a, a very precious thing. But there's many points that help us understand this, this passage of Scripture before us. And again, we may not cover all of John chapter 20, but I want us to, to as we work through this, use this as a tool so that we can go show someone afterwards. So it says in verse 1, Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. So what day of the week would this have been? 
Sunday, right? These scriptures, as they're writing, these are Jewish people, right? And right at the very beginning, we have the why, why do we gather on the Lord's day? Well, the first day of the week, right? For the Jews there, I mean, it's, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is what grounds why we gather. And you'll notice that even here in a couple of verses, how they've gathered in fear on what day? The Lord's day. I mean, that's, that's support, encouragement. Somebody comes to you, ask the question, why do you gather on Sundays? Well, it's the Lord's day, Resurrection Sunday. So now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Well, it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that other disciple? John, the one writing this. Okay? Right, and we see that there from, from other gospel accounts, the one that laid on Jesus' breast. But this really does slow us down a bit because this is written as John is writing. This is his perspective because he was there. Right? He was running with Peter to the tomb. The other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. That tells us something about John. He's a very fast runner. <laughs> Either that or Peter's very slow. <laughs> Being silly, but uh, here we go. All right. And he, verse 5, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, and yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. God raising his son, his Messiah King from the dead, was a very special, systematized, it was very, very ordered, it was very detailed, right down to the folding of the grave clothes. This wasn't a rush, this wasn't an impulse, this was, this was God's predestinated plan taking place. And God made sure it was done right to the final detail. Verse 8 says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? Pretend you have a, a teenager sitting there, right? Asking you, like, what, what did he believe at this point? Was it, was it his Old Testament scriptures? that pointed towards, I mean, your Isaiah 53, your Psalm 16, was it the Old Testament scriptures that said Jesus, the Messiah King, was going to die, who's going to be buried and rise again? I think at this point, his Old Testament scriptures all of a sudden went, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know whether I could fully trust it. But at this point, when he saw that empty tomb and those folded linen clothes, and then the body is gone, his Old Testament found its mooring in his faith. How big is that 
for the things that he would face. How big is that when all of a sudden he sees those Old Testament scriptures and it, it's just played out and he's like, you know what? No, that, the concrete's been poured. Nothing is going to shake me. And that's what, that's what learning and studying will do for someone's faith. Last week when we talked about like what are pastor's kids and, and missionary kids and Christian kids from the church, what are they walking away from? Is it a verse? You know, John 3.16 has saved me. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use that. But what do we shore them up with? Right? What do we disciple them with? And we have to ground them in these truths. And for John, again, neat detail. I mean, these, these, these apostles, the 12, they were just older teenagers. When you do the math backwards from John writing. They were young men. I know Jewish can, culture, you kind of make some considerations, but they were young men, and the Old Testament Scriptures just went, right, done deal. So, I mean, here he goes. He believed. He, he believed his Old Testament Scriptures. He probably also just believed Jesus' teachings because Jesus told them. He showed them. And even in the midst of Jesus being present, some of those teachings probably seemed a little crazy, <laughs> Right? I mean, I'm like, I don't, I've seen you heal, I've seen you feed 5,000, I've seen you walk on water, but, but raise yourself from, like God raised you from the dead, like how, how? Again, his faith just found its moorings. I believe. And we understand that all these things were taking place, and when they said they believed, they're coming to that place, and you'll notice the theme of, of the book of John, verse 31. Please come over there, John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written. Okay, again, an emphasis on why we need to read, why we need to understand what we read, why we need to be able to, to show share, we'll call it. You're not just sharing, you're showing them. These are written, and, and we're reading them right here, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Greek to English, anointed chosen one. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 1 Chronicles 17, 13, and 14. We remember that, right? Where, where the king, Davidic covenant there, and says, I will be a father to him, God speaking. He will be a son. He is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's go to John 17 just, just quickly. John 17. What is this life? How do, you, how do you describe this eternal life? I mean, this verse itself, I mean, you present it, but when you teach it, it has the nuts and bolts, almost of everything to start out, right? What is this life? John chapter 17, verse 3. I mean, don't, don't try and figure it out or put your own definitions of it. I think, I think it's better just to be able to say, hey, can I show you? Can I show you? Verse 3 says, and this is, and I hope it's marked, we've been here before, and this is eternal life, that you may know, pardon me, woo, that they may know you. I mean, Jesus is praying here in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? That they may know you, Father, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what is eternal life? Knowing God and knowing the Son. 
That starts at faith, right? When you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, you step into that relationship with God. Right? That, that step that you're indwelt, you're regenerated, you're adopted, and you are sealed. That begins. But your eternal life, <laughs> following faith, has to grow. It has to be founded. It has to be sought after. It has to be read and worked through because it's all about knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ. And we said, how, how do you learn who Christ is? By reading in the Word. By gathering with other believers and learning. By worshiping. By having conversations by, by participating in this pulse, this culture that just loves Jesus. But where does it originate from? My own thoughts of Jesus? No, it, it originates from this is who he is. And that's why this has to take precedence. I've been in, I've been, I've been in we'll say, parachurch organizations where, where you have hundreds of people and somebody stands up and goes, we just love Jesus. I'm not insulting or in any way but there's no scripture used at all, right? I mean, there's nothing that grounds us. I've sat in classes with teachers at seminary level where you're done the end, and I'm like, you know what? This was a whole lot of man's idea, whether I agree with it or not. I mean, there was nothing from scripture used in this class. Something needs to be said, Right? So here, just, just, just coming back, we have this, this, we know what eternal life is, is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ whom you have sent. These men were listening to that. Let's go back to John chapter 20. John, he saw and he believed the end of verse 8. And you're going to see this time and time again as we make our way towards Acts. The Word of God opening their understanding. We understand the Spirit, and if you work through the notes for your homework, uh, if you choose to, I encourage you to because it connects these dots, but it's always the Spirit of God through the Word of God, okay? Now, it's always the Spirit of God through the Word of God, and, and we, I'd love to have conversations with different ideas of that, but let's see this develop here. Even in verse 9, he saw and he believed he believed his Old Testament scriptures. He believed prophecy. He believed the words of Jesus and how he tried to prepare them. He believed the words of his Messiah King. But verse 9 says, For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. <laughs> yeah, Bev, I, I, I read that too, and I'm like, what on earth does that mean? What do you mean there he did not know I mean, I know Jesus would have presented it to him, and he held the Old Testament text. This is where Greek, not being a Greek scholar, I got a fancy computer program, I hover over it, and it tells me what the meaning is. But the Greek meaning for this one is edo, intellectually. Okay? So in his head, I mean, I mean, Jesus had presented it, he held it in his scriptures, but in his head, it had not found its place yet. But what had not found its place yet? The scripture. Right? These particular scriptures. Okay? So for as yet they did not know in their minds the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 2. 
Okay, and as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, I just want you to consider with me. Of all the things, and this would be more, well, you know, we can include the Sunday mornings too. Of all the things that I've presented to you, have things fallen into place the first time I've mentioned them or showed you them? <laughs> I'm going to say, like even poor Carissa, she has to go, like I mean, even as I learned to teach, these truths don't fall into place immediately, right? Something has to click, or you're reading somewhere else, or all of a sudden, I don't know whether husbands and wives, other than my own marriage, ever experience this, but when you're really trying to get something across to your spouse, and it's not going anywhere, right? And, and I mean, it's, it's, you've, you've tried every approach, gentle, you've tried to flog the dead horse, you've tried writing it on the whiteboard, and then you just give up. And then you're somewhere completely disconnected with anything that you're trying to explain, and somebody says it differently, and you see it connect. Like, oh, yeah, and, and, and they get it. And after you're done having your temper tantrum and, and what have you there, it's like, okay, it, it just found its place. And that's what I think about here as we're reading this verse. I mean, they did not know. I, I know it's in their scriptures, right? And I know Jesus presented it to them, but it just connected with that empty tomb, okay? Now, that's God's grace. That's God's patience. Uh, but, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And in Acts chapter 2, we see, right, it was Peter and John running to the tomb, but in verse, where do we want to go here? In verse, let's start here, verse 22, Peter stands and gives his first sermon following Pentecost, right, in the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures hadn't connected with him, and I'm going to say 47 days earlier, because we're about three days after Passover, because of the resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So in 47 days, Peter, the same man that stands at the tomb, right, with John that didn't connect these scriptures, what is he saying here? He's preaching to the Sanhedrin, his government. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, we remember John 5, 36, right? The authenticating ministry of his signs. I am the son. God is doing these things through me. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. This is the Jewish government that he's speaking to here. You guys just killed the one that God sent. This is important. Verse 24, who raised? Who raised Jesus? says God did. Another verse says the Spirit did, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, this is a Trinity thing. This is all part of that predestinated plan. Whom God raised up. I mean, was it Jesus that folded the linen clothes in the tomb? Was it the angels? Somebody had to be doing good at laundry, right? <laughs> okay, but I just ask, ask some of those things, right? Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Here is Peter with connected scriptures. 47 days later, for David says concerning him, concerning his Messiah King, who suffered, died, whom he saw in that, no, he didn't see in the empty tomb, he was gone. All right, for David says concerning him, 
I foresaw the Lord always before my face. This is Psalm 16. Right? Peter is using this, connecting this. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. This is David in the 1050 B.C. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Who's the Holy One? Jesus, King Jesus, the Messiah King, right? God's anointed chosen one. <laughs> David's seeing this in 1050 B.C., Right? This prophetic king is going to come, he's going to die, but he's not going to stay in the grave. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full in the joy of joy in your presence. Scriptures connected. Right? But sometimes it takes something to connect it for us. And I'm glad Peter did make that connection. I'm glad this found its place in there. But now think with me, walking this through as someone that has some of these questions, right? What scriptures connected? What didn't he believe? And being able to show them the progression that seats the foundation of someone's faith. That is discipleship. So let's come back to John chapter 20, and we're doing okay for time. And again, these are things that, that you're going to go home, hopefully, and talk about, sit over the dinner table and just, okay, what did he mean by that? You know, what, what is that I'm going through? But verse 9, John chapter 20, for as yet they did not know the Scripture in their heads, I mean, that connection hadn't been made yet, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Hmm. They must have had homes in Jerusalem, right? Did they have houses? Where did they meet? I mean, those are things that you can, I mean, even if you really want to, Google it, right? I mean, I mean homes and, and, and John Mark and Peter and, and all, they had homes. They meet. That, those are connections as you go through it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then you have that. It becomes a show share thing. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And what does she see? She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. I wonder why Peter and John weren't given that privilege. Hmm. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. Now, New King James, it capitalizes that for me. And I do not know where they have laid him. We've been here before. If you go to Psalm 110 or Luke chapter 20, Jesus explains this. About how David says that my Lord said to his Lord, right, my God, and the Septuagint from the Hebrew there translates Adonai, okay, and I'm not going to get into this too much, to Kyrios in the Greek. So whenever we read this in the New Testament, it has the deity title, sovereign 
deity, sovereign or supreme ruler, but it has deity attached directly to that, okay, in the Greek as it comes through. And that's important because you see near the end of this chapter, Thomas exclaiming, my Lord and my God. He recognized Christ as God Himself in the flesh. Hmm. So, Lord, very important as you're explaining this. So she said to the angels, can you imagine what it's like talking to angels? What did it look like? Lots of light? Do they? Anyway, and she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, right? My, 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 my supreme God in the flesh ruler. And that's where this becomes very, very important because she's going from here to here, right? My supreme, my Messiah King, God in the flesh, the one, the one that is going to sit on the throne for that thousand years and then into the eternal state. She got it. <laughs> she connected the Scriptures. She connected the empty tomb. She connected Jesus' teachings where they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Again, was this a teaching moment? Again, we, we, we learn sometimes. Was this a faith-testing moment? Was this Jesus making sure that she put some of those pieces together? Well, I, I think all of the above. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Remember a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Christian counseling? Right, and Jesus coming to them going, what are you talking about? The road to Emmaus? It's the first thing he asked them, what, what are you talking about? And he makes them rehearse out loud, you know, their unbelief. Makes them rehearse out loud what's going on in their hearts because need, she needed to hear why she's weeping. She had the Old Testament teachings, Scripture. She had Jesus' teachings. Right, now is the time for her faith to kick in. And Jesus is that wise, wisest counselor. I mean, he goes, okay, why, why are you weeping? Right, what else does he say? Whom are you seeking? And she's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She was obviously having a hard time digesting the whole him being raised. She's looking for a body. It hadn't connected quite yet. Now, me and my humanity, I'm not saying I would get it right away either. <laughs> I probably would have been looking for a body. I would have been looking for something to grieve over. I would have been looking for something to, to go through the ceremony for, right? But notice here, Jesus said to her, there's an exclamation mark, I was going to shout. But there's some energy here. There's, 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 an, uh, there's a, an encouragement. There's a Mary, right? In, in the darkest, I mean, moment where she's allowed herself to go, it's Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher, okay? Jesus said to her, this is important, mine's highlighted in yellow here, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father 
and your Father and to my God and your God. I'm going to read that one more time, and I just want that to settle in with some of the things that we looked at last week. Jesus said to her, do not cling, or, or like, don't, don't touch me, don't cling, don't, I, no, I want to give you a hug, but right now we've got to keep the, <laughs> keep the distance here. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus has died. Jesus spent three days in the tomb. He's obviously standing here before her, but he has not yet what? Ascended to the Father. I grew up thinking there was only one ascension. Yep, just, just thinking there on the, on the hillside with the disciples. And my question last week, Dale, was like, how many ascensions were there? And this is where, where some of those questions come out. Now, I have not ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, okay, the, the disciples, and it's not just the twelve, okay, go to my disciples, go to my brethren, sorry, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So we have the empty tomb, we have Jesus standing there before, we have the angels in the tomb, Jesus meeting with Mary and saying, okay, now I am ascending to the Father. Does anybody else find that fascinating? Something there to chew on a little bit. Okay, well, that's, let's add to this and then I'll try and lay in the plane because there's no way we'll get through the rest of it. I think the only way to do that is to keep reading. All right, so verse 18 Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, Lord's Day, the Resurrection Sunday, okay? That's why we gather, okay? And this is, this is another key verse, and we mentioned it earlier. First day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, Right? Or, they're, or they're gathered together. Okay. I mean, okay, yeah. Um, why were they gathered? For fear of the Jews. Conversation with a gentleman there Friday night after youth group. Let's be very careful that we don't present the Jewish people with a negative connotation. Right? I mean, I mean, they have a history, just like if, if Gentile, if, if North American history was recorded and followed, if, if Gentiles was all, I mean, that would include the Muslim religion and everything like that. We have a broken history as well. We just don't have it <laughs> recorded in the authoritative Word of God. So be very careful that we don't present to our children the Jews are bad. Because it's devastating when they find out that Jesus is a Jew. And the Messianic kingdom, I mean, it's around Jerusalem. The nations are involved, but, but the focus is on Israel. It's on the Jews. I mean, we were talking about that. It's like, man, you're so right. I mean, Jews were bad people. Jews crucified Jesus. And I mean, even if we don't intend to, that's, again, how I, let's say, processed it. But it is important here, the fear of the Jews. I don't think they were fearing the people. Who were they fearing? The Jewish government. 
the Sanhedrin, the ones that were involved in that, and, and you track that through. I mean, most of the time when it sends Jews, it's the Sanhedrin that it is against the Christ followers. Hmm. Another element. We could go to Acts for that. But verse 19, then the same day of the evening, meaning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews or the Sanhedrin, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Maybe this week, think through, what, what is Jesus' resurrected form like? If he can just appear in the midst of people gathering? I mean, is he walking through walls? You know, is he, is he, is he you know, like, I mean, what does that look like? Oh, wait. Revelation 3. Jesus is knocking on the door of the churches wanting to be in the midst. All right, things to consider. You know, Jesus' is presence. He says, peace be with you, a peace that, that, that he brings, a messianic peace even. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus still bears the marks of what he went through at Calvary. I still have a hard time processing that. If you're taking notes, just write Revelation 5 beside that verse. And Revelation 5 talks about looking for one worthy to open the scroll. And it says the one, um, the lamb with the appearance of being slain. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like a cat of nine tails on the back and the crown of thorns and the scars. I mean, is that, is that what my Jesus looks like? I'm going to find out one day. But it's there as a reminder of what he went through. What, what, he, what he went through as my Messiah, King, Lord, and Savior, and his right to rule. And that's not just for then, that's for now. And that's these things understood that make an impact on our lives. He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Do you think they were given... I have to be careful here, because I don't want to... when don't want to add things to scripture but do you think they were given a chance to touch you know as jesus is in their presence we know thomas isn't here but here at this point i mean i mean he, he's in the midst we don't read them actually touching him but i but i i think as i'm reading through the 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 i think it would be fair to present that they gathered in this intimacy Verse 21 says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord, curious, okay, that, that's connecting for him. We have seen our supreme ruler, our Messiah King, who is God in the flesh. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe believe what 
his Old Testament scriptures. Like, again, that connection. I, I will not believe the old. I won't believe the prophecies. I won't believe the teachings that Jesus put in front of them. And again, that's a good study. Jesus warned them. He, he kept telling them, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to raise again. He's not going to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what it says. He will not believe. Verse 26, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. And this is a peace, a greeting, a messianic peace that Christ brings. But notice verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. He's inviting him to touch him. Do we see that? Right? The physical. I mean, this, here Thomas needs, Thomas needs the physical, say, reassurance for his faith. And I'm going to say, that's okay. You know, some, sometimes that's what's needed, right? And we don't want to be too hard. I mean, we're going to read here that it's blessed for those that, that have not seen to believe. Right? But sometimes humanity needs that. But I want, I want to just catch that point. Now Jesus is inviting Thomas to touch him. And that's significant. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Boy, they mustn't have had a, a weak stomach here. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, curios, supreme ruler, deity, God in the flesh, and my God. Right? The thing that it connected for him right in that moment. This is your Psalm 110, Luke 20. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Believed your Old Testament scriptures. Believed the prophecies. Believed what Jesus had put before them. Believed that the tomb was empty. <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are many that would have to go on without having seen the empty tomb without having seen the resurrected Christ. They would have to believe the apostles. The same way we believe, and we, our starting point is the Word of God. All right, so landing, landing the plane here, we've read 30 and 31. These are written, which is what makes the Word so important, so we can show share as we walk them through. These are written that you may believe that, wow, well, i got to read verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So there was a lot of other things going on, I'm going to say even prior to his crucifixion as well as afterwards. Right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus spent time with them. And, but these are written, specific ones, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. <clears throat> what is life? What is eternal life? Knowing the Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So my closing, closing 
point to think on here, okay? Something had to have happened between verse 17, read with me, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, and verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Are you catching what, what I'm drifting at? Something had to have happened. How many days were in between? And this is where your, your Bible study, verse 26, says after eight days. What was Jesus doing for eight days? You know, think about it. I mean, if he's saying there, I have not yet ascended, don't touch me. And then eight days later, he's saying, okay, Thomas, you can touch me now. I'm saying he what? He went to his father. He went and ascended. Okay, now in your notes, I have this, but, but this, is, this is a foundational point for our understanding and showing, explaining that Christ is raised from the dead. Okay, so just, I don't think I can do it without reading. Okay, last week we looked at Philippians chapter 2, right, about God exalting him to his position as king, right, because of his obedience. It's right in your notes um, that I got out there at the top of the page. Um, after you have showed them, and I'm talking about John chapter 20, okay, you have Philippians 2, but right in between these two, the eight days, and I would put right between verse 18 and 19, Philippians 2, and Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. And I am going to ask you just to turn there, and that'll be the last for this morning. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. Something had to have happened in between, right? Mary, him saying, do not cling. I have not ascended to my father yet. And him saying to Thomas, touch me. Come handle me. Right? He's appearing in the rooms. What was Jesus doing for those eight days? Right? And this is the beauty. Philippians 2 says that God exalted him to that position. Right? Name above every name. Okay? He's anticipating God's time when he's going to bring the kingdom. But verse 11 and 12, and, and again, when this finds its place, it gives us more to remember when we observe communion. Verse 11 of Hebrews 9 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. It's hard not to teach through this. Verse 24 of the same chapter explains to us that there's a heavenly sanctuary and the instructions that was given to Moses, they're a replica Okay? They're, they're, they're a picture, they're a, a, a type okay? of what is in heaven. So God's throne room has a sanctuary with the Holy of Holies, an ark, a, a mercy seat where blood has to be applied. Jesus says, don't touch me, Mary. I have not yet ascended to the Father. And this is where verse 12 finds its place in, in my understanding. It says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Once, for who? For all, believers and unbelievers, 
All sin is paid for, right at the cross, is shed blood, and he takes his blood, don't think too, I don't, I don't know how or what this looks like, <laughs> but he takes his own blood once for our prayer. He entered the most holy place in the throne room of God, the sanctuary in the, in the third heaven, the most holy place once for all with his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. My Jesus with long hair and a staff and a sheep and kids around him, he's not big enough. I know when I started learning these truths, and, and somebody, I think Krista made, they go, oh, you have access to the, the resources. I think a lot of it is just time, sitting down and reading, and, and Google, a lot of Google. But I want to be able to walk people through and show them. Because talking about it, I, I can tell even this morning, just some of the connections, I can tell you, but it's when you see it, in that verse there, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name, that you may know the Father, the one true God, and Him whom He sent. You catching that? It's a powerful, powerful thing. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. We'll have the music group come up even as I'm closing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it seems like a lot, but Lord, we, we, we just looked at 30 verses. They're in English, and Lord, we, we were able to take notes, and Lord, we I believe with all my heart that your Spirit would be able to lead us at home over the dinner table, some, some quiet moment this week to, to work our way back through that, Lord. And I pray that you would establish our faith. You would ground it. Lord, I think of just the, the effects of COVID and, and how, how shallow in so many ways people's belief in you was. And I know that's because Bibles are closed. And I pray that, that this would just, this would become contagious. Lord, we would find ourselves talking with, with our young people my age. Lord, our, our older friends, our older, older friends, and Lord, teens can understand these things. And I pray that you would just groom this church to see that this is where we have to begin.